0: I like the definition of extension that was agreed upon by all the Australian Territory and state governments back in 2006. Extension is the process of enabling change in individuals, communities, and industries involved with primary industries and natural resource management. In today's episode, we're going to explore what extension is, as we think this is one of those frequently asked questions that people working in extension get asked all the time They sometimes struggle to give a succinct, straightforward answer.
1: Absolutely, John. A quick Google search shows that extension these days is a word mostly associated with web browser add-ons, which is not terribly helpful. Uh, But essentially, extension is a word that means a part that's added to something to enlarge or prolong it. So hence, we have extension cord, extension ladder, house extension, and an extension to the due date of an assignment. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, So, no wonder my new friends look at me strangely when I say I work in Extension. While Agricultural Extension is relatively well known in the Northern Hemisphere, especially Europe and the United States, it's not really part of the vernacular in the Southern Hemisphere, including Australia and New Zealand. So Denise, can you help me understand the origin of it, please?
1: Sure, John. But it's actually a little unclear where and when the term agricultural extension was first used. However, farmer education can be traced back at least 2,000 years, especially in China, where they developed agricultural policies and disseminated practical farming advice. Um, Now, in Europe, the Irish potato famine that started in 1845 is an example of a well-organized community education program for farmers. The Earl of Clarendon asked the Royal Agricultural Improvement Society of Ireland to appoint itinerant lecturers, and these folks travelled around the worst affected districts showing farmers how to improve their cultivation practices and how to grow alternative crops.
0: Yes, and what we refer to as extension was first used in Britain in the 1840s to describe universities communicating or extending their research results to the wider community. They did it to extend the reach of of the universities beyond their physical campuses into the neighboring communities. These university extension programs soon spread to other institutions in Britain and across to the United States. They became well established by the end of the 19th century. Although agriculture was one of the main topics being extended, it was just one of the many and agricultural extension was yet to be used as a term.
1: Uh, So from there, agricultural extension started to take off in Europe, in what is now modern-day Germany. Itinerant farm advisors were being employed under the auspices of central agricultural societies. And by the close of the 19th century, agricultural extension systems modelled on that German experience had spread through Europe. And if you have a look on Wikipedia, you'll find the um, English translation of how different countries describe what we call extension. Um, In Arabic, it means guidance. And in Dutch, it means lighting the path, which I think is a really great metaphor for extension. Um, The French refer to it as popularization, and the Spanish call it training or capacity building.
0: Mm, I, I agree, Denise, that the Dutch metaphor is very apt. Lighting the path sounds so good. Anyway, back to the story. All this effort in Europe was keenly watched by the United States and Canada, where agricultural societies had become common during the first half of the 19th century and supported itinerant lecturers in agriculture. However, the creation of land-grant colleges there meant that agricultural extension was really about to take off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's detour for a quick American history lesson. Uh, The Morrill Act, that's M-O-R-R-I-L-L, was sponsored by Justin Morrill, uh, while Abraham Lincoln was president, and it became law in 1862. The actual title of it was an act donating public lands to the several states and territories, which may provide colleges for the benefit of agriculture and the mechanical arts. Uh, It provided each state with 30,000 acres of federal land for each member in Congress. And these parcels of land were then sold by the various states to fund public colleges that focused on agricultural and mechanical research instead of the traditional liberal arts.
0: Mm. And A second moral act was passed 28 years later in 1890, aimed at the former Confederate States. This time, however, it provided cash instead of land. Then in 1994, another round of cash grants established the land grant colleges for Native Americans. All up, about 70 colleges were funded this way, including Cornell, Washington State, and Texas A&M. In fact, the letters A and M are an abbreviation for agricultural and mechanical, linking back to the university's heritage. So that's what they meant by land-grant colleges. But let's get back to our main story, Denise. (laughs) It's
1: all good. Um, The next big step forward was in 1914 when the Cooperative Extension Service was established in America, enabling the cooperation of federal, state and local county governments. The state land-grant colleges are central to that system and they help diffuse practical information relating to agriculture and home economics. You could say they extended the reach of academic research so that it was relevant to the general farming community.
0: Mm, That's right. So that's Britain, Europe and North America. But what about extension in our part of the world, Australia and New Zealand? Historically, both Australia and New Zealand had a government-funded agricultural extension service, but that's changed over time. I'll share some of the history of extension in Queensland as an example of extension in Australia. Then maybe, Denise, you can tell us a bit about New Zealand. The Department of Agriculture was established in 1887 in Queensland, and the staff helped encourage the fledgling dairy and cropping industries to produce food, as at that time, most of those products had to be imported. They created a travelling dairy, where dairy specialists would travel by train across Queensland carrying examples of the latest machinery, such as cream separators, uh, to demonstrate them to the dairy farmers. Over the past 20 years, industry and private extension services have taken increasing roles in delivering extension. Currently, the extent of the private sector involvement varies across industries and regions. There has been an increasing tendency for public sector extension to move from doing extension activities to enabling others to do it, such as private consultants and not-for-profit organisations. So that's Australia, Denise. Can you tell us a bit about New Zealand?
1: Sure, John, um, because the story in New Zealand has been quite similar in that it had a publicly funded extension service, and this was the advisory service of the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry, but that seized at the end of the 1980s when it was restructured. Um, the government encouraged each of the primary sectors to collect and use their own levies to fund research and extension. Um, And this has meant a proliferation of private extension providers from farm consultants through to resellers such as fertilizer company reps.
0: Mm. Today extension is still a widely used term around the world, but other words are also used to describe agricultural extension. Rural advisory services is a common alternative. There is an international organisation, the Global Forum for Rural Advisory Services, or GFRAS for short, that is focused on enhancing the performance of advisory services so that they can better serve farm families and rural producers. The longer term, they seek to contribute to improved livelihoods in rural areas and the sustainable reduction of hunger and poverty.
1: Yeah, Um, and in Australia and New Zealand, our professional association is APEN, um, the Australasia-Pacific Extension Network. And it allows like-minded people to share their extension experiences and ideas at conferences. Uh, There are about 500 members across Australia, New Zealand and beyond. And a members directory helps keep us in touch and find others with whom we can collaborate.
0: And we're living proof of that, Denise, for if I recall correctly, we first met when you came to Toowoomba to participate in an APEN conference I was running back in 2001. And many years later, I came to Christchurch for an APEN conference that you were running. There seems to be a nice symmetry to that, uh, but unless we digress. <laughs> Where were we up to, Denise?
1: Well. John, that actually concludes our brief history of extension, and hopefully it's provided some extra background. But before we go, John, a quick debate. Should we still call it extension, or do we need to embrace change ourselves? Um, And since I've got the microphone, I'm going to go first. (laughs) I say, yes, we should still call it extension. We've covered the long and amazing history of the word extension, so why would we change it? Uh, many parts of the world are very familiar with the word and use it in the context of agricultural extension. Um, I use the fact that people are unfamiliar with extension as a chance to talk it up. (laughs) My go-to way of talking about extension is that it is a tool for facilitating change on farm. Um, And John, there's lots of tools for facilitating change. Governments use these all the time. Um, Things like taxes, incentives, rules, regulations, In agriculture, there's a history of researchers and farmers working together with extension people to help ensure that there are good options for farmers to achieve the goals they have for their farm business. So, extension it is. Ah, no!
0: (laughs) the term extension may be in common use in the Northern Hemisphere, it's just not part of the vernacular in Australia or New Zealand. As good communicators, Denise, we know we should use words appropriate to our target audience. So instead of trying to get them to change, I reckon we should change ourselves. Another problem is that extension itself has morphed over time, but kept the same name. So, you know, back in the 60s, it was all about top-down technology transfer. And nowadays, it's more about collaborative approaches and innovation systems. Depending on when you've worked in extension, you could easily have quite a different understanding of the word extension. If a person I've just met at a barbecue asks me what I do for work, I avoid using the word extension at all costs. I just say, I help enable change in agriculture so that farming can be more profitable and sustainable. I like the definition of extension that was agreed upon by all the Australian state and territory governments back in 2006. Extension is the process of enabling change in individuals, communities and industries involved with primary industries and natural resource management. The State Extension Leaders Network, of which I was a member, published that in a booklet about the role of extension, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But I reckon we should change our language and call it something meaningful to the average Aussie or Kiwi, such as enabling change. And then we'd call ourselves enablers of change instead of extensionists. I think that has a much better ring to it, Denise.
1: Now you might be onto something, John. We'll see. (laughs) So you've heard our thoughts. Now we'd like to hear yours. Add a comment below the episode and tell us your thoughts about extension. And tell us what you prefer to call it. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation, so join in by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. Mm.
0: Thanks, folks, for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. Remember to subscribe if you'd like to know when new episodes are available. And hey, tell your friends if you've liked what you've heard and leave us a comment. All the best until we meet again.